What's up, guys? It's Matt Whitmore here, one half of Fit of Food. Fit of Food Radio, episode number 79, is where we are at. And of course, I've got Keris with me, as always. And you going to say hello? Hello. Just sitting there all quiet. <laughs> um, guys, we've got our favourite doctor, Dr. Tommy Wood, on the show once again. Um, with his big fat mug of coffee that just seems to get bigger and bigger every time we Skype in. I thought you were just going to say his big fat mug. His <laughs> <laughs> big fat mug. I could have gone anywhere with that, really, couldn't I? Big fat, you know, fill in the blank, you know. Steady. <laughs> um, but Tommy's all the way from Seattle today. This our evening, your morning, buddy. Yeah, this is um, this will be the way it is for all future appearances, probably. Unless, uh, unless you know, I'll find myself back in the UK occasionally. That's but this is where I'm based now. That means yeah. we're going to start every podcast with, "What time is it there? What's the weather like there?" <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, it you know it's sort of a bit grey and looks like it might rain, so I feel right at home. Oh, yeah, I was going to say it's been similar here all day. To be fair. I was like, because I have the, I hung the washing out like the good house husband that I am, and I was just like, oh, is it going to rain? Should I bring the washing in before I start dinner? <laughs> you need to sort your testosterone. I know. <laughs> well, if you, you're not going to do it, are you? No. If it was down to you, you know, just rotate the same clothes for five days before washing them. I'd have no choice. Right. So we were. What's quite cool is we've had Tommy on the show many times before. You know, we've actually met him in person a couple of times. You know, we, we've 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 been for burgers together. You know. We're, I consider us friends, don't you? Yeah. Well, who are you going with this? Well, I'm just saying, like, you know, <laughs> it's like o- over the months or I suppose years now, if you like, like the, yeah. the the chats have become kind of less and less formal and to the point where even on this episode, we actually started the phone call and it was like, right, what are we going to talk about? There was no plan. There was no agenda. There was no nothing. It was like, let's just play it by ear. But we've come up with something, haven't we? Yeah. What have we come up with? We are going to ask you, Tommy, about your own personal journey with health so kind of how you've evolved what you see and understand as healthy and why most people think because you're a doctor that that you've always been healthy and it's something that's always been a priority and a focus in your life and that's probably why you became a doctor is that true yes or no (laughs) um well I guess it's linked but not really no so actually like a really quick aside just because I think it's an interesting story so I was back so my mum has always been really interested in health, and she always, like, we cooked a lot at home, she cooked a lot, she taught me how to cook. You know, she was she was often, like, various different supplements. I remember getting uh, probiotics, like lactobacillus, acidophilus, 20-something years ago. I remember really? getting Q10, vitamin C, all this stuff, you know. Yeah. When I, I recently went to visit her in Iceland, and she she always had this really impressive bookshelf of like all these the different country, health yeah, not, not Iceland the country, not, yeah. Not no, she was just down, <laughs> down by the fish fingers. <laughs> yeah, so in Iceland the country, and I looked at her bookshelf, and I I just thought, oh, I'll open some of these old health books, right? And you know all the stuff that we talk about in health, twenty sixteen, mm. yeah. They were talking about this in the 80s, right? Yeah. Literally nothing has changed except for social media means that more people can learn about it. I just yeah. thought that was it. Like, literally everything everything I talk about, my mum was reading about it 30 years ago. 20 years of my own personal journey to actually figure out that any of it was useful or worth listening to. So anyway, when I was a kid, I wasn't really interested in health or exercise or anything. I liked uh, biscuits and <laughs> watching TV. Um, those were those are my my primary primary uh, goals in life. I'm, I mean, I, I did all my homework in front of the TV. 
Um, I mean, I was I did well at school, right? So I didn't do my homework badly, but I did it sat in front of the TV, eating chocolate biscuits, um, drinking tea, watching Nickelodeon. Um, That's like Matt's perfect day. I, <laughs> I still do that now. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. Like the, the shows have changed slightly, but otherwise it's, it's, it's you know as you were. Um, but so then I guess as I got into like my late teens, maybe like. When I was 16, I kind of I kind of joined the gym because I thought, oh well, cool people join a gym. I'm not very cool, so maybe if I join a gym, that'll make me cool. Um, yeah, I kind of went a little bit, and it was fine. Uh, it didn't really nothing else really changed though. Um, like I was still, you know, teenager, going out weekends, having fun. You know, just don't really think about the other stuff. So, and then I got to sort of like towards like when I finished my A levels, basically. I then kind of got much more into it. I had a gap year, and I spent most of my time um, like reading men's health. I got I had time to go to the gym like every day, which I did do. Um, and then, so like at that point, like I really started to focus and worry about what I ate. So like I didn't eat any fat really. You know, I ate a lot of muesli and apples mm-hmm. and and protein shakes. Like Maxi Muscle got all of the money I I made. <laughs> My gap year. Was that from uh, Men's Health then? Is that where you're kind of sourcing that information from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was kind of that was kind of where that was where I was getting. And you know, I mean, the information in that magazine is literally the same every month, and it has been for the last <laughs> years. I think. I mean, I, I, I leaf through it occasionally just to see if anything's changed, and it hasn't. But that's where I was getting it from. And then, and then at the same time, that's where your body image thing, right? Because you're like, these are what men are supposed to look like. Um, and I had kind of been through like a rough breakup around the same time. So that was kind of what I put my energy into. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know what it was like. Oh, if I have six, a six pack, maybe she'll take me back. It was, it was something like that. You know, when you're 18 years old and, and heartbroken, that's, 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 that's how you think, right? You know, that's how you think. And that's exactly what drove it. Um, and like a sort of self-esteem crash. And then you sort of like have to have to put all of that energy into something else. So, so that's what I did. And it, you know, it, it really, it really took its toll, right? Like, I literally, I, I really thought about everything, that, every like morsel of food that went into my into my body. I then, you know, during my gap year, I started uh, dating somebody else who also had um, some eating, uh, previous eating disorders, eating issues, and we just kind of fueled it in each other, and it was really not very good for us. Luckily, that didn't last very long. Um, and then, so I'd already had my place to go to university. And I went. So then I started. I started at Cambridge. I started. I started rowing. Um, and kind of luckily, when you're training that hard and getting up every day, you kind of you have you're focusing on performance rather than necessarily like what you're eating, right? So up until that point, I just you know I was definitely you know I was definitely orthorexic. If you if you I mean nobody diagnosed it, or whatever. But actually, somebody jokingly put this big. Uh, I mean I know who it was. It was one of the guys that I was at university with. In my first year, he put this, he printed some stuff out about orthorexia, and he was doing it to kind of tease me because he was a bit of a dick. Uh, but he shoved <laughs> it under, my, under my, the, my, the door of my room to, like, basically say, mate, you're orthorexic, stop worrying about what you eat. And it was absolutely true. And I'd actually never heard of it before then. But, I mean, like, I recognized it. it was, that was absolutely how it was. But sort of over that period of time, um, as you, as I sort of had to focus on performance, and I was, like, Working really hard, both uh, for rowing, but also for my like degree. Found like a friendship group who didn't mind that I was a bit weird about how I ate, and you know, it was sort of just like normal and teasing about 
and stuff. And then sort of like slowly my eating habits started to normalize because you kind of, you realize that there are other things that are more important or whatever. Um, and I still, for like the next five or six years, I, I spent thousands of pounds, I think I've said this before, thousands of pounds on uh, supplements, right? Protein shakes, protein bars. I tried, you know, all the various fat burners and things to try and get ripped. Oh, God. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, and it's, uh, like... It, so it's, it still, all... it's still physique driven at this point. It's not on a health a- level Absolutely, at all. yeah, yeah. It's like crushingly low self-esteem and, and, and physique driven um and so that's kind of the that's kind that was that was always kind of the aim um or like that's what I was trying and sort of and, and there was this big struggle right because when you when you're rowing you you know you're sort of just focusing on that on that one goal and the way you train wasn't the way I was I was used to training so I used to go to the gym and I'd you know bench and do bicep curls right because that's the important stuff um and <laughs> And so then I do like I do like two months of rowing during term time, and then and then the holiday would come, and I'd be like, oh shit, my guns got small. So then I'd spend the whole holiday doing bicep curls, which doesn't help your rowing at all. And I go back, and like the cycle would continue. I ate what I thought was healthy, which was still sort of more on the low fat, very high protein, all that kind of stuff, like how athletes are told they're supposed to eat, I guess. Um, and then just making sure you get enough calories in. There's a lot of cakes and carbs and bread and things like that um and are you studying medicine at this point in time though you're no so i'm still at cambridge doing my bike like my biochemistry undergraduate degree and i but sort of during during that time i i started to do like more rowing coaching i spent spent most of my degree rowing or thinking about rowing god knows how i got the degree (laughs) i did Uh, and then sort of I, I try and look to other ways to sort of train, train people, write training programs, stuff like that. So I found CrossFit. Like, and this is back when CrossFit, like this is the early 2000s. So right when CrossFit was just like 10 gyms in California, right? Um, and they sort of, they talked about the paleo diet or some version of that. It was sort of like Rob Wolf, Lauren Cordain, early work version of the paleo diet, you know, meat, nuts, seeds, um, little starch, or some starch, little sugar, that kind of thing. Um, and I didn't really like change the way I ate because of it. I'm mainly focused on just like CrossFit and the training because it sounded interesting. But it was kind of like there in the back of my mind. Um, and then, um, then I guess toward then sort of like I, I finished my degree and that was probably how I was at that point in time. And I'd so if, if people are um, if you're talking about sort of like the evolution of health and becoming like going into medicine and, and things like that, I sort of fell into medicine. So I didn't really know what to do after my, my biochemistry degree. I, I, already, I had a place to do a master's as well after I finished my bachelor's at Cambridge. Um, and that was just kind of like the natural follow-on. Um, but a friend of mine was like, oh, I think I might apply to do graduate entry medicine. I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So that's what I did. Um, <laughs> you were just thinking about more rowing. <laughs> yeah. Even so, more so, rowing. So, <laughs> I, I didn't actually even get uh, an interview to do medicine at Cambridge, graduate entry medicine. And I'm, I'm certain it's because they tried to weed out the people who were coming from Cambridge who did a lot of rowing. Because basically what I wanted to do was just keep rowing plus <laughs> a medical degree. So they, they, they obviously called me on that and like didn't even give me an interview. Um, but that's fine, actually. By that point, it's sort of ready to ready to go go somewhere else. Um and so I, I've had sort of, there'd the been a lab, a 
uh, that I'd worked in as an undergraduate, and this is then the same person I ended up doing my PhD with. And she sort of told me that I should apply for medicine and become a doctor. And I also had a, a good friend um, whose dad was a GP um, who was sort of like I was fairly close with, and he was also had told me that, oh, I should go do medicine and, and, and uh, be a doctor. So, so I'd had it kind of like in the back of my head, then somebody suggested it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, and at this point, like I'd obviously had a journey where I'd been quite unhealthy. I'd been a bit overweight, um, not like super overweight, but I do remember the nurse once sending a note home from school saying, your kid's a bit chubby, make sure he doesn't eat too many biscuits. Oh, really? Um, yeah, something, something like that. Then obviously I got to a point where I was you know, performing very well, rowing, was in much better shape. And so that did kind of, when I was writing my personal statements for medical school, when I was interviewing for medical school, I was like, you know, so I have transitioned from somebody who was living an unhealthy lifestyle and I sort of turned myself around and I did it in a very unhealthy way. Obviously I didn't mention that at the time, nor maybe did I realize it at, at the time, but my motivation was that, oh, I could help other people do that. Little did I know that doctors don't have time to do that, <laughs> ever. And it's not their fault, right? You know, everybody yeah. complains about doctors don't talk about diet and lifestyle and all this stuff. It's because, you know, you go see a GP, they have seven minutes to see you. Yeah. And, you know, try and, if you guys try to do one of your consultations in seven minutes, like, what could Impossible. you achieve? Yeah. Right? Very little. So, so anyway, so that's what got me into, into medicine. Um, shall I take a break? Do you have any questions? I'm just, going. <laughs> I'm just listening. I'm, I'm enjoying the story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. Um, please do feel free to interrupt. Um, so then, so so I got to. So then I went to Oxford, and sort of like my my brain disengaged for like a year, like the first year. So it's a four year graduate degree, and basically during my during my third year of Cambridge. I guess we're kind of going back in time. But during my third year of Cambridge, again, I, I, I'd, I'd had a breakup, wasn't really you know, in the right mental state, spent a lot of time rowing and drinking tequila, and then <laughs> um, basically revised for my finals in like two weeks and <laughs> nearly killed myself. Like I, was, I basically wept through my whole exam period. Just <laughs> um, and, and a lot of caffeine. Oh, wow. A lot of caffeine got me through. Um, and so then basically it took me a year for my brain to come back online pretty much. Um, and sort of like when I got, and, and sort of like I went through all the motions and, and there was a lot of stuff in the first sort of year of the medical degree that I'd learned at Cambridge, you know, basic biochemistry, physiology, pharmacology, stuff that I'd learned already. So basically I didn't really need to engage as much as maybe some of the other people did. Um, and then I sort of like emerged at, at the other end, um, I, this is, so now 2008 was the end of my first year, um, and I had one, I had one more summer where I basically went mental. I had like a, this whole like three months, and I was in the gym every day, really worrying about what I ate, really worrying about my body composition, right? So like, I went fully backwards, and because, just because I could, I had nothing else to do, really, and I could just give all my time to it, and like... I went, I was, you know, everybody, so I went to this gym in Bristol and literally everybody knew me. I was in like every spinning class, I was in every circuits class, like I was then going and lifting weights, running on the treadmill and like I got in great shape, it was amazing um, and I, I, I probably got myself down to like 4 or 5% body fat, Jeez. something like that. Did you, you know, wear and, your, um, did you wear your rowing one piece to the gym? Yeah. 
loved it. It was in the cycling class in no in the spinning class in my um, so I'm so Oxford. Uh, my college is Pembroke, and it's like all the stuff is pink, right? So I'm in there in my pink lycra in, in, in the in spinning the class. class. I literally just like covering the. I'm a pretty sweaty guy, right? So like covering the floor in sweat. Um, and so this was like my mission in life for three months. Do you know, so it's so actually, interesting that you said about not having anything to do because I've noticed just that kind of pattern with a lot of people and I've got better at spotting it with, with clients when they kind of come and they're, they're so into nutrition and exercise and I have to kind of go, it's because there's not a lot, you've kind of forgotten what the purpose of getting up in the morning is and it's, it's not to think about food and exercise all day long. Yeah, yeah. So it's so interesting yeah. that you identified it straight away, you went, I just had nothing to do, so your focus yeah, yeah. goes there, doesn't That's- it? That's exactly, and that's exactly what it is. And this is uh, so. I go on. There's another podcast that I, I do a regular slot song called Ask the Doc. It's the Endurance Planet podcast, um, and and it's basically for like endurance athletes, right? And it started out as this, you know, big, you know, just sort of like endurance performance. And the coach Tawny Prazak, she's like a Ironman triathlete, and she mainly coaches people now. Um, and so for like endurance athletes. Um, they probably they probably really enjoy it. Like they have Ben Greenfield on there all the time. He does like a nutrition slot and things. Um, but what her journey has been through something very similar, like health problems and then like functional medicine and all this kind of stuff. So she ends up talking about like all the health stuff, which we find now really interesting. Um, but when I go on that when I go on that show, basically, I usually end up saying, "You are a family man training twenty hours a week, racing three Ironmans a year." Uh, why? <laughs> Why? Why are you doing that? Because you know sometimes we'll sometimes we'll have people that will you know send us their you know sort of they they come to work with us like through Nourish Balance Thrive and they're usually athletes and they send like some information about their diet and supplements and health issues and training goals and things like that and you're like all I can see here is that you're going to get divorced soon because you never see your wife and kids. <laughs> yeah. Right. Is is a nine hour Ironman time worth it? And no, it's no, it absolutely is not. But if you get into that mindset, it's yeah. just it's all you want to do. But right? also, some of them do it, I think, as an escape. So because things aren't, ha- you know, like there aren't other things they want to be doing. So again, yeah. it's kind of alarm bells. That is the relationship the right one? Is the is the job the right one for you? Because they kind of do it as an escape. Because it's I need to hide from somewhere, so I'm going to go and do training, basically. Yeah, and I mean, then then absolutely. But then I guess the. The, the the question is, do you want to live a life that you're constantly trying to escape from, or do you want to actually a fix things? And obviously, you're not going to fix it while you're out on your bike. Or do you need to move on in, in whatever it is? And this is so. I have a nice side story here. I hope he doesn't mind me talking about it. This is a good friend of mine from school. He recently got married, and then moved to New Zealand with his new wife. And about six months in. He like sends me an email. It's like, oh, you know, uh, I've been I've been a bit depressed, and I went to the GP and I got I prescribed some citalopram. Um, like, what do you think? Can we talk about it? So, I, so I called him up and we um, like started talking about it and just like getting into it a little bit. And and what I realised was he lives in New Zealand, away from all his family and friends. He doesn't really like his job, and he doesn't really like his wife. And that's not, that's not being depressed. That's a completely normal reaction to your life, right? So if you don't like your life, change it. So that's what he did. He's back in, you know, he's back at home and he's got a new job and he's happy again. New wife. I knew you were going to that. Oh, well. <laughs> not, not, 
not yet. Not not a new wife yet. Um, that's but, expensive. Yeah, <laughs> I, but no longer with the old wife. Um, so so that's my point, right? If if don't resort to medication or Ironman training just because you hate your life. Fix your life. Um, no longer take antidepressants either. Luckily. So so what was I talking about? I was talking about um, yeah. So this like so one summer. So this I'm I'm at medical school and. Yeah, so I did that, and I think that was, like, if I look back, that was, like, the one last time I was really, really in that, like, super unhealthy mindset. And then things things did start to get a little bit, a little bit better. And I, and Tommy, sorry, I think, to, sorry to interrupt you, mate. Because yeah. you, you mentioned a moment ago, um, you were saying, like, you were really obsessed with, like, all the, you know, like, what food you ate at this time. Yeah. Like, what... What would you class as obsessed in that sense? Like, what was like the kind of food you were eating? And the only reason I ask that is because I know that when I talk about when I went through that stage, on mm-hmm. reflection, I was actually probably malnourished. I wasn't actually being healthy at all when I look back yeah. and compared to the foods that I eat now um, or foods that I don't eat, should I say, you know, because I was still eating a lot of bread a lot of pasta, you know, really like poor quality stuff as well. And it was all the time. It was like every day. Whereas I still have that stuff now, but it's occasional. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas back then I was like, oh, I'm being super healthy because I'm going low fat. Like, yeah. You said like the fats cause you almost to be anxious because you've got nothing, <laughs> nothing to sustain you or is that what you're saying? Like, well, yeah, because it was like, I was almost as in, like the deficiencies of fueling the anxiety. Well, like for example, like my dinner would be uh, chicken and pasta, like, so not a vegetable in sight. Because in my head, I was like, well, I'm getting my protein, I'm getting my carbs and my fiber, great, like, but no veg. You know, lunchtime, it would be a big old whole grain chicken baguette because, again, I'm getting my protein, I'm getting my carbs and I'm getting my fiber. And I was reading everywhere that it's like, you need carbs for your energy, you need protein to build muscle, fiber is really good for you. So I actually look back and think, well, there's me thinking I was being this obsessive health freak when, in fact, I probably wasn't, you know what I mean? Yeah, and and I think um, in so many respects, Matt, like your journey and mine are just so incredibly similar. Yeah, and so I was, I, I mean, I was exactly the same. So <laughs> You're orthorectic twins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so, so mine was maybe just a smidge better than that in terms of like. So I did, I did a fair. I've always enjoyed cooking. Like when I was. A teenager, I worked um, in a kitchen, like as a chef on the weekends, and so I, I think I occasionally I didn't really make salads or anything like that, but I would like occasionally cook um, a stew or a chili, and there'd be you know get some get vegetables in there and things like that. Um, but it still wasn't great, so it was very very similar. My standard breakfast for like the best part of a decade was muesli with a scoop of chocolate protein powder on it, which is really good. Right, that sounds nice. pretty, uh, pretty epic. I'm taking it's notes. Amazing. So I, I, get, I get like a super fancy, I get a super fancy um, muesli, <laughs> scoop of protein powder, and you have to mix the protein powder in first, or else the whole thing doesn't like really mix. And then milk on top. And for a while, I a while I went dairy free, so I did it with soy milk. Oh, God. <laughs> um, wow. And and then so then, but there were lots of things like so I needed. I mean, I was in the gym like twice a day, so probably three to four hours a day. Uh, at times so if we're talking about this like one this one summer so then there were a lot of like fridge milkshakes low fat um and chicken rate like chicken fridge raiders chicken like fridge raiders plus chocolate fridge milkshake <laughs> yummy um <laughs> and and then like I, I ate lots of things like you know 
you know, like quark, like that really low fat. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's supposed to be like a cheese, but it tastes like yogurt. It's a, it's a German thing. It's very yeah, similar yeah. to something Kevin Iceland called Skid. So that's kind of where I got it from. And I eat a lot of stuff like that. So it was, again, low fat, um, plenty of grains, you know, sandwiches, pasta, things like that, uh, and loads of protein, you know, loads of chicken and, and things like that. So it was very, so very similar in terms of that kind of diet. And it was very much, as long as I'm not eating fat, I'm probably doing okay kind of thing. Other than the, so uh, other than the fact that you're obviously a little bit mental at this point in the time, <laughs> <laughs> did you have any, like... Like health issues at all, like on that new. Oh no, no, no! I felt, I felt great. Like I was crushing it in the gym. I was ripped. Um, I probably, I weighed a good, I weighed a fair amount less than I do now because you know there's only so much muscle you can put on if you're spending three hours a day doing cardio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I didn't really have any health issues. I think if I, um, going on like, particularly on later experience from when I was like. Ironman training and working as a junior doctor. I think if I'd had a girlfriend, I probably would have struggled to get it up. <laughs> um, just because, you know, there's only so much the body can do in a day. And, uh, so, because then basically the rest of the time, so basically I'd crush myself at the gym and then the other 20 hours of the day I'd sit and watch the Beijing Olympics. Um, that was like my, that's what I did that summer. That'd be why you wouldn't um, have a girlfriend. <laughs> a girlfriend. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, absolutely. Girlfriends don't, or future girlfriends don't hang out on the sofa, yeah. sadly, like next to you randomly. And they're usually not in your spinning class either, though I guess they might be. Um, so, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just wonder if you had like, uh, you know, if that was kind of a trigger, what made you then change from that style of nutrition to what was your next step? When did you yeah, realise so, you, you, you something needed to change? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a really good question. I don't think they ever really, truly, properly changed until I got, like, even got to Norway to do my PhD. So I still had like, a couple of years of med school and then a couple of years of working in London. But towards like as I worked, at, like towards the end of my time in med school, maybe talked a little bit about this. So my mum started seeing a new guy who then became my stepdad and his son, my stepbrother has multiple sclerosis and what um, what we kind of did is like the four of us together, so my mum, stepdad um, and Ulrich, my stepbrother, they're kind of, uh, my mum's really into nutrition, me doing a medical degree, Harold, my stepdad and, and uh, my stepbrother, uh, both engineers and so we basically tried to deconstruct multiple sclerosis right to kind of look for what we call it the root cause analysis look for what causes it and you get into all this kind of stuff right so um the casein can sort of trigger molecular mimicry so the antibodies then which bind to casein can then bind to bind to antibodies in the brain gluten and gut permeability and then you know we're also looking at things like b12 and methylation cycles and all this kind of stuff and then the kind of the paleo diet kind of comes back to me at this point, like five or six years after I first heard about it. And so I read uh, Rob Wolf's book, um, the original paleo solution uh, book, which I didn't really, I guess I didn't really like it that much, but that's because it wasn't technical enough for me. Like it's a great book, but for me, I was like, I want more mechanisms and things like that because yeah. that's kind of what I was into. You know, I had a biochemistry degree, finished my medical degree. And so then I realized that that way of eating was really what 
was going to be ideal for multiple sclerosis patients. And, and eventually it sort of evolved more into like an autoimmune paleo type diet. Uh, but it was really, so we started like a basic um, paleo diet plus some other things like um, the anthocyanidins in blueberries are really, really good at stopping some of the like pathological enzymes that break down the blood brain barrier and stuff like that. So like basically smash people full of vitamin D, vitamin E and blueberries a lot on top of their paleo diet. For, for like people with autumn, for, uh, with multiple sclerosis, so things so things like that. But that's sort of like where this all started to come back to me. And then as but when I would talk to my um, when I would talk to my peers, like my friends, and I start talking about um, grains and the agricultural revolution and how at that point you know that switch like we got shorter and you look at our bone you know our fossil records and um, then you know you, you can see that the Bone density is worse. Dental health is worse. You know, when people sort of switch to, you know, in, in the same place, you look at the fossil records in the same place when people switch from like a hunter-gatherer style type lifestyle to an agricultural-based one and grain-based one, and everybody's like, "Ah, oh, this is just this is just nonsense." You know, grains and farming have helped people like populate the world and industry and all, and which is absolutely true. Like, you can't you can't deny that. Like, if we were all hunter-gatherers, we wouldn't live in the society that we live today with all the fabulous technology and travel and, and all that stuff um so so it was, it was kind of a bit of a struggle for me to really eat like that because i got so much external pressure from other places um you mean in the, so and, you're talking about kind of in the medical world now so like your yeah there, yeah absolutely yeah. so from my friends so this is now <laughs> you see Korean burgers now <laughs> yeah so at, this, at this point yeah, so I'm, I'm working as a doctor, you know, some close friends from medical school and sort of, you know, I try and talk to them about this stuff because I've been reading more and more about it. They tell me it's, they tell me it's all nonsense. And, but I do, you know, I sort of slowly reduce the amount of sort of like bread and pasta and things like that. You know, I just five, I guess five or six years ago, I just stopped really eating that stuff regularly. I mean, not strictly, right? If somebody hands me a piece of cake. It's going to be difficult for me to say no, right, Matt? Um, <laughs> I'm with you, Matt. Um, but, but, that, but, but it sort of like started to happen. It started to happen there, especially as then we worked with more people with multiple sclerosis and, you know, the results, you know, started to be really good. You know, we didn't work with many people, but the people that we did, you know, saw really, you know, really good results. Um, and then uh, towards, like, when I, towards the end of me working as a doctor in London, um, or the last year there, maybe I got like back into CrossFit and then, you know, there's paleo challenges and getting back into paleo and stuff. So I, I spent a good amount of time doing strict paleo um, just to kind of, just to kind of try it, really. I'd never really done, like really sort of put myself and made myself do strict paleo. So what, this is like five, five years ago now, four years ago, something like that. Um, and so I did that and actually... Um, I really enjoyed it, except it becomes a bit monotonous because all I ate was Marks and Spencer's gluten-free sausages and uh, sweet potatoes. Um, but I could live but, on that. But, I could live on that. Yeah, you say we're, that, we're, which is really good. Um, but but just it got a little, it got a little bit, it got a little bit boring. And actually, I noticed because I was doing so much CrossFit and trying to do. Um, and trying to, uh, you know, obviously working in London at the same time. Um, and I ha had a girlfriend who lived outside London, so I was often like commuting in and like short sleep and all this stuff. And I actually lost quite a bit of weight. So I, again, I got like quite lean. But I just don't think I could really get, I, I couldn't, I didn't find myself getting enough calories to kind of fuel me. 
So I think that's that's one of the that's one of the issues. If you're in that kind of high intensity sport, um, then I think having very strict rules on what you eat can make it very difficult to to eat enough, yeah. right? And I'm sure you see that in a lot of your clients. And so that's that's something that really requires a lot of sort of planning and attention to detail to get it right. Um, and then and then I kind of. But then the rest of the time, aside for like a month or two of like strict paleo, it was much more sort of primal. So again, it was like gluten-free, grain-free, but more like butter and dairy and things like that were okay. Um, because, I mean, for most people, they, well, for a lot of people, they are, they are okay. Um, at, this, at this point, though, you've not mentioned anything about sleep or stress. No. So like you're constantly no. juggling intense training and, and like, qualifications and girlfriends living all over the place and yeah 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 and no absolutely that's because uh life was work eat train still even though like i'm probably focusing more on the quality of my diet and not worried about fat anymore um you know that's still this is still the focus and this is even like three three years no three or four years ago um so before i moved to norway from london and we didn't talk much about my first year in London, but that's when I was working my first job as a doctor. Tra- I trained to do the first ever fully off-road iron distance triathlon. Um, it was called X-Man until Marvel sued Endurance Life, who ran, <laughs> who ran, yeah, yeah, who ran the, uh, so then it became X-Try 24. Was, and it's only ever been won once in 2012. Um, because, and it was so miserable that nobody ever wanted to do it again. So they never ran, they never tried, they never did the race again. It was literally the worst thing I've ever done to my body. It was, <laughs> it was, it was awful. It was awful. And like a hundred people started, forty people finished. I think I came like twentieth. Oh, and then, and then I, um, and I, and because I was working as a doctor, I never got to like train that hard, right? So I did. I go to like a cycling class in the morning. Maybe I do some running. Did some laps in the pool. But basically what I did is I made sure I went and saw the whole course. So I cycled all the bits. So the, the, the bike portion was mountain biking the South Downs end to end overnight. Um, oh, so I just made sure I did it all in sections. So I always, so I knew the, I just made sure I knew the course, right? Because there's a big psychological component of, okay, I know what's coming next. Um, and so then, so I managed to like, the, uh, the reason I got through it was because of that. It wasn't because I managed to do that much training. Um, so then... Even at this point. I was going to say, how did your nutrition change in that time compared to when you were doing like the CrossFit and stuff, or did it not really? No, not really at all. I, again, I probably wasn't, I just wasn't eating enough because I was still in that, I guess I was still in that sort of like pseudo paleo, pseudo worried about, you know, total calorie intake and, and based on like my workload and you're like, you're on your feet. I was on my feet in the hospital all day and then yeah. trying to train. I do things like work a night shift and then go to the gym to kind of train myself because uh, the, the marathon portion of, of the race was after you'd been mountain biking all night, right? So that was kind of like to train myself and things like that. So again, I mean, we're talking like terrible sleep, too much training, not enough eating, not enough rest and recovery, all that stuff. And so I managed, and then so after I did this race, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure I peed out most of my muscles, like <laughs> rhabdo. Because I, I went straight to Iceland and I basically la- I lay on my grandma's sofa. I basically just hallucinated for three days wow. uh, after the race. Um, 
and then made, had to promise my family that I would never do any more endurance racing because I'd done like a couple. I'd done like a couple of ultra marathons and lots of marathons, and I did this. So I'd done one triathlon in my life, and it was that one. And the last um, one you'll do. <laughs> that's the last one that I'll do. Yeah. Um, so can I just ask as well at this time? So you've just done medicine. Are you not getting yeah. mixed med- messages about saturated fats and things in your training, or was none of that really touched upon? Or no, it wasn't. We didn't really talk about it that much, you know. And it just, it, it just, it just never came up. At no point, I was, I was the only time, you know, I was worried about fat intake and all, you know, fat intake in general. I never really worried that much about subsets of fat. You know, maybe saturated fat a bit more. You know, monounsaturated is okay and that you know that's basically how i justified eating so much peanut butter um (laughs) full of monounsaturated fatty acids is good for me so maybe so maybe the saturated fat was more of the focus um but not that didn't really come it didn't really come from from med school right we got like zero nutrition training all of all of the all of the it's all you know eat healthy and exercise more right that's that's all you get told but you have no idea how to actually implement that and, and, you must have thought you, you were see, topping the charts. <laughs> you must have thought you were topping the charts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess it never really, so like when I was working, like both as a medical student, so as a medical student, I had time to be a bit more frustrated about it, right? Because I was sat, I'd go and I'd shadow a GP and somebody comes in, they have type of diabetes, they're obese. The GP says, oh, you know, try and eat better and lose a bit of weight, right? That's all they've got time to do in seven minutes. Yeah. Again, not blaming the GP. You yeah, know, yeah. It's definitely. Part part of the system, and you know, at that point, I'm like, well, what on earth does that entail? What should this person be doing? Um, I hope they didn't ask you. <laughs> yes, yeah, so sometimes I'd kind of, sometimes I kind of butt in and try and give. It, that doesn't go down very well. Um, I tried, and but then once I actually got, I was working, you know, in the hospital, and like you're just so stressed, and so many patients, so and like. I just didn't think about, I didn't think anything about the patient's lifestyle, right? Yeah. You know, even though you got people coming in and sort of did some work with the endocrinology team, so lots of people with type 2 diabetes, and it's all just like less fat, more carbs, and more insulin, right? It's a disaster, right? <laughs> God. Um, so you don't really think about it until afterwards, right? But but even if I've been, if, even if, and I'll, you know, if I do go back to formal medicine, hospital medicine, like, there's just no time to do that stuff, yeah. right? And, and and again, it's not necessarily the doctor's fault. It's just part of the the, the, the system, the amount that people have to do. Um, so I so I never really never really thought about about that stuff, and, and certainly wasn't taught it in medicine. Like we just never. I don't think we even had any nutrition classes. Some some medical schools around the world get maybe like a week. Uh, I, as far as I remember, I don't I don't remember any. So it was all from my own reading and my own interest that this sort of stuff started to build. But there is almost, isn't there? With, I mean, maybe it's. I think it's definitely changing a little bit now because I think you know, with modern technology, people have more access to information themselves. But I know, you know, certain generations still believe that the the doctor has the answer for absolutely everything, from uh, a head cold to knee pain to stomach cramps to a pain in their elbow. The doctor knows the answer for everything. Yeah. And like you yeah. say, it's like, if anything, you know, more greater stress is being placed on, you know, NHS, whatever. Um, yeah. and, and yet there's, there's probably even less time now. Like you're probably lucky if you do get seven minutes with a GP now. And I don't know if you've seen that program. Is it like behind clothes? Was it behind, 
behind closed doors, Is but it? the cheap behind the GPs something like that. Something it's just rather, yeah. The it's like it's like a, it's like twenty four hours in the A and E, but it's just in like GPs, uh, like a, hot, a doctor clinic, and it's just some of those things that people go to the doctors for, and you're like, you bloody drama queen, like. <laughs> Like some of the older blokes, I'm a bit like you. Just wanted like a couple of hours away from the missus. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just to go and sit and read the paper in the waiting room and have a little quick five minute chinwag with a doctor. And you're like, my god! Like I just think that it's this. I don't know. People need to start like fending for themselves a little bit and not. Yeah, but then there's no there's no information. That's why I asked you about the kind of lifestyle stuff because if you think about sleep and stress as well, what we're talking about, which is nutrition and exercise, you know. One, it can never be covered in that time, but and the questions yeah. can't even be asked. But so many of the conditions that they're complaining about are related to those. And mm. I know at the conferences I'm now going to, which was previously just nutritional therapists, you're now seeing GPs there. Some off yeah. their own back have just gone on their day yeah. off, which mm. is amazing. And they've, they've kind of said, I'm here because I want to know what else I can do. But they're frustrated because yeah. they, they have five minutes. Yeah. And yeah. also there's kind of... In America, I know, and you, you'll be seeing this, obviously, Tommy, they're trying to say that you need to merge the kind of ancient medicine where it did used to be looking at the body as an integrated, you know, kind of entity and connecting all the different lifestyle factors with what we have now, which is kind of just pill for a pain, basically. And like at some point, yeah. it will, it'll have to change. It will change. Well, it's like, I think, I mean, not to kind of like digress too much from, <laughs> from what you're saying, Tommy, but... About men getting away from their wives at the hospital. <laughs> no, I was just talking about... Um, it's funny because we had um, we had a good old chat in our Fit Three Six Five like membership area um, on Facebook the other day, and it was talking about people trying to kind of convince their partners, if you like, that the lifestyle they're living is a good one and that they should try it. And you know, I kind of went back and just said, "Look, unless someone wants to make them change themselves." you're going to really, really struggle to convince them. I think, you know, everyone has a moment where they have like a moment of like clarity or an epiphany or whatever. And, you know, you you kind of used to kind of like try and get me to change my ways for, for a while. Didn't you? And then Let, eventually, let's be honest, you didn't have a choice. <laughs> well, no, like, no but, it, but in all honesty, I, you know, there, there a moment came when I genuinely thought I do need to definitely change. And whereas before that, I was a bit like, oh god, you know, stop kind of going out on at me, you know. Like, and then there came that moment when I wanted to make the change for me. It wasn't for you anymore. Like before, I was really trying to impress you. Like, oh yeah, guess what? I didn't have a didn't have a baguette today. <laughs> um, what was quite interesting was quite a few of the, and I must admit it was mostly the women who were trying to get their kind of husbands on board, and a few of them mentioned like conditions that they have, like their their, their husbands had, like uh, a lot of like, autoimmune conditions. Yeah, so yeah, it was psoriasis, it was gout, you know, and one guy was in like chronic pain because could like you know rheumatoid arthritis, and yet when she suggested maybe saying oh we'll try maybe limiting x y and z it was like that's a fad it's all a fad it's all a load of mumbo jumbo but of course if a doctor says take this tablet no questions asked just oh great cheers how many a day doc you know and that's kind of that and it's like and i think we were talking about this the other day like there is starting to be a bit more of a crossover like on the you know like um trust me i'm a doctor i've been talking more about mindfulness reducing stress sleep um you know and actually looking a little bit more at nutrition and 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 stuff like that and i think it's i I definitely think it's happening but it's it's going to take a while i was just going to ask tommy do you think at some point at least 
on an autoimmune for an autoimmune condition there'll be a recommendation soon to remove gluten and dairy based on what you've seen do you think that might come in the next five ten years or yeah that's a good question and there's like so much stuff that you've touched upon like in terms like, i just want to like briefly another you know, thing about going to the gp you're absolutely right there's so many people who go to the gp who don't need to go to the gp and at the moment we have this like split so like half the population is still in the paternalistic gp knows everything and actually you know, there's this really difficult split because I truly believe in the NHS, seeing a doctor, fixing your health shouldn't be something you have to pay for, right? It should be something that is, it should be a basic human right that should be provided to you. But it leaves it open for people who don't necessarily have anything better, again, don't have anything better to do to go to the GP and then the GP doesn't have time to, as much time as they want to see to work with the other people. So it's a really difficult balance that I don't think anybody really has the right answer to. Um, Going back to, and, 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 the, and you're absolutely right, Kerry, it's like that I know lo- lots of GPs personally and other people that I've heard of, like friends of friends who are, who are getting into this stuff. So it's definitely changing, which is incredibly encouraging. And I know some great GPs who are trying to do this work as, you know, within the, within the, either privately on the side or within the, the constraints that they have. Um, a lot of people like through the public health collaboration and some other things that GPs doing that kind of thing. Um, a good story. I know somebody who is in who, who, in the UK who had who has some some kind of un, um, sort of unspecified autoimmune disease. So they can't really figure out um, exactly what, what it is. But they went to a private GP who recommended the autoimmune paleo diet. So it's it's out there. You know, it, yeah. it, it is slowly happening. Now, people are re- reading about it again. Like you say, it's GPs. As far as you know, as far as I see it, obviously I'm not a GP, but from the GPs I've spoken to, they've kind of realised they've become frustrated in terms of their capacity to deal with some yeah. problem, and then they go out and read about it. And that's what's really good about the internet and podcasts and things, because you know, I might say the autoimmune paleo diet, and you might be a GP and be like, "Well, that sounds like a load of nonsense," but it might mean that you put it into Google and you go do a little bit of reading, and then actually it starts to make sense. So don't take it from me that the autoimmune paleo diet is something to use in your patients, right? Go and read about it and do some, you know, and do some research if you're interested, right? So so I think, so I, it's a possibility. I don't think it's going to become st- like standard of care. But again, you know, very similarly, um, gastroenterologists are talking about a specific carbohydrate diet for people with Crohn's and, and uh, maybe people with colitis. Um, again, you know, low FODMAPs diets are turning up loads for people with IBS. So, I think you know people are starting to realise that the diet is so crucially important, and that different diets will work for different people. The ketogenic diet is coming back in a, in a big way for people with epilepsy, uh, but also uh, certain types of cancer, things like that. So, um, I, 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 it is it is changing, and, and lots of you know there's different diets and different tools for different diseases. And I truly believe that I don't think that there's one thing that everybody should be one way everybody should be eating. It should mm-hmm. be absolutely personalised um, and, and uh, change over time. And I think in different pockets it's happening. So five or ten years, yeah, you never know actually because in in the last three or four years there's been a big change. I went from like thinking, you know, four or five years ago there wasn't a single doctor in the UK who who thought about this stuff and maybe I just didn't know about them, right? They're out there just doing the work and just not really publicizing it. But now you see these people doing it and you hear about it in just a few years' time. So, mm. you know, maybe even the next decade it will become much more mainstream. You yeah, know, it's, it's definitely so. encouraging yeah, to yeah. see. But, but mate, going... Oh, I was going oh, ask, oh, because we oh. started talking about other halves, I think we should ask about your, your other half, who's actually the intelligent one. In the, in the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is she, is she available part. for the next podcast? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you, should, like, you should definitely have heard them, but... 
don't don't bother with me. She's uh, yeah, she's a, she's a clever one, absolutely. What does she think about kind of? Because obviously, were you kind of eating a paleo style nutrition when you met her? Um, yeah, so it was much more again. Um, so then, as so, I, so I met her one year into my into my time in Norway. And You'd given up was, the, the spinning in the in the spandex gear at this point. Given up the spinning in the spandex gear, I was uh, <laughs> walking to work, making sure I slept properly. Oh wow! Um, doing some stress modification that happened fairly quickly, like maybe within a year. And that's because I started my blog, started my podcast, started to engage much more. Do I had time to do so much more reading about the science and nutrition and things like that? Like actually dig into like the papers and things. And within a year, like that was a big a big turnaround in terms of what what I was focusing on. Um, and, you know, I'd go to the gym three times a week, mainly do a lot of, you know, just squat, deadlift, bench, you know, uh, a few bicep curls, you know. <laughs> yeah, a good measure. Uh, can't forget those. And so um, I think it was probably like a just like a very weird uh, for her because it was, just wasn't something that she was she was used to doing. She was she was an athlete. She was a very successful athlete uh, when she was when she was younger. Like she trained with the USA women's soccer team, like for sort of borderline Olympic kind of selection kind of thing uh, until she got uh, like a career ending injury um and so had, you know just kind of whatever you could do to get the calories in really because it was that 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 much training that much hard work um and so she probably just thought I was a bit weird um but if, but I think she trusted my my reading and knowledge enough to kind of pay attention but the, the really and it's like it's happened many times around me is that and, and just like you're talking about and, and the, the people in your group are talking about, you can't push this onto somebody, yeah. right? You like, it's, it's, and I've tried it with various people and, you know, people in my life who have health issues or whatever. And I'm like, do this. This is exactly, you know, you're doing all this stuff wrong. Do what I tell you and you'll be fine. Like that does not work. All they will do is reject it and, and push back. And it's a completely normal human reaction. Just like, when your wife tells you or your girlfriend tells you to stop eating baguettes, you're like, that is the last person you need to hear that information from, right? Because it's just not, it's just not going to go in. And that's completely normal human psychology. Yeah, yeah. And nobody should be upset or angry about it because that's how our brains work, right? So the, you know, we talk about now, you know, like with Nourish Balance Thrive, working with Chris Kelly and things like, nobody cares about your health as much as you. So until mm. you care, like there's there's nothing anybody else can can really do about it, and it becomes if something's being forced on you, it becomes a stressor. It becomes something that a you worry about, or b you get pissed off about, right? Yeah. And then you're undoing all the hard work anyway. Well, but that's the, that's the thing. You the, the person who hasn't got the issue ends up getting more stressed and wound up and <laughs> about it than the other person. It's like it affects their health. And you're like, that's what I was going to say. Do you not find that stressful yourself though, Tommy? Like when it's someone you love and you can see what they're doing is making them sick and worse and you know, like it's a massive frustration. Mm. I know I, I've got better at stepping back. Well, for a while, I tried to fix everybody, and then yeah. I've got yeah. no friends now, so there's yeah. nothing to fix. <laughs> 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 they all, they all, they all dump me. <laughs> no one invite carries. Yeah, <laughs> it's driving you mad. I, I don't want to feel guilty for eating this cake no, and drinking this wine you tonight. Have the, you have the best intention, and it's only the people that I think genuinely need it. And it's it's funny because I, we say this about. Um, a lot of the testing and things that's out there and a lot of the people that come to 365 probably don't actually need to it's the one yeah. you know do you know what I mean they want the test they want to know even more but they, they're already doing brilliant and you know not yeah. that I want to do us out of a job here but but then the people that no, are right. the, need people, us. the people who come are already doing so many great things that probably yeah. they could just like go and do it and just stop worrying about it and they'd yeah. be fine um no I completely agree um 
but so so the, so it can absolutely be this huge kind of stress. You're like, I think, well, I could absolutely help this person, but and and it's it's happened to me through trial and error, right? It's not you you figure out because you try it, it just doesn't work. Um, that you you can't you can't push this stuff on people, particularly people who are close to you in whatever way, be it um, friends or family. And so, a if they ask you then great, and you can give the advice, but you also can't take it personally if they don't do it, Yeah. right? It, again, it's, you know, if they're not engaged enough for whatever reason, then they're not going to do it, just like nobody does anything unless they're motivated enough to do it. So that's another thing is if, if, you're, if somebody asks for your advice and you give it, don't get frustrated if they don't do it because it's all part of their own process, right? And you need to hear something enough times from enough places to, for something to actually enact change. So... It's just kind of a all I and it, again, this has been a growth process for me, just like it has for you, Kara. It's like, well, I mean, you just alienated everybody, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just it's just learning what what it is like, where the boundaries are, what you can and can't yeah. do. And I, I can't say that I get it right all the time, right? Because you always want you want to try and you always feel like, well, I know what what to do here. Let me do it. Yeah. Um, but um, so so then, if you just do your own thing, and people see or like either like oh why are you doing that you know or they see that you're much healthier and happier because of whatever change you're making then they might ask about it um or you know eventually people hear you you know talking about things doing things writing things whatever and then they become interested enough to ask you questions then that, then that's great but it's just the same thing as this you know rule when you're a doctor say if, if somebody in friends or family asks you about a medical question the answer is always go to a gp you cannot okay. be the doctor of your friends and family. And yeah. it's, um, even though it's a grayer area in like diet, nutrition and stuff like that, it's exactly the same. Because if my mom comes to me and has this problem, whatever it is, hi Hamish, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I say, oh no, no, don't worry about it, it's fine. And then it becomes a really serious issue. Like, that's a big deal. So, so you, you, can't, you can't be just like doctors don't look after their families and friends or they shouldn't. You just, you can't do it. It just doesn't work like that. But you can make it so that you, they can ask, you know, they get to the point where they're interested enough, they ask you questions, then you can, you can give information or direct them to other resources or whatever. I think that's the only way, that's the only way it can work. Until they're interested enough, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, well, I mean, like, we um, we kind of had a thing with my stepdad, didn't we, last year? Or, uh, well, actually, originally it was a few years ago, and he's, he's type 2 diabetic. He's got all sorts of other bits and bobs wrong with him as well. And, um, you know, he he kind of wanted us to kind of help him out a little bit and we offered some suggestions, some advice. You actually went right out of your way to write like a, like a proper meal plan, write everything up, like some supplements that might help him and just completely ignored it essentially and just got worse and worse until eventually, um, he was, you know, he was deteriorating, wasn't he? Like every time I saw him, I was like, bloody hell, like you, you look like death warmed up, you know? And um, he had like breathing problems, heart problems, as well as his di- diabetes, which w- wasn't under control at all. Yeah. And uh, and basically, the doctor just said to him, "Was like, look, like you're a ticking time bomb now. Like if you keep this up, you know, it's uh, you know, you you really don't have long at all." And it kind of took that for him to actually, you know, give a shit really. Um, and and then eventually, you know, and he kind of came to you and I again. But we just said to him, we were that we said, look, we we want to help you, but 
you know, if you do what you've done before and just ignore us after we put a lot of effort into trying to help you and, and whatnot, then we, you know, don't ask for our help again. Like we will walk away and you can deal with it yourself and take responsibility. But in his defense, he, he did, didn't he? And he's, he's made a bit of a comeback. You know, things have got, I mean, he's not cured by any means, but compared to what he was like. Um, the funny thing I found was he actually, he enjoys the nutrition, the recommendation. Yeah. He likes, like, we kind of took him off cornflakes and said swap it for a cooked breakfast eggs and he likes or, that or porridge well yeah he where he was like if i have to have cereal what can i have and we said well porridge and kind of you know like just better choices and yeah he actually enjoys the nutrition but it was a battle wasn't it yeah but i was gonna ask where are you where have you got to now with elizabeth did you guys kind of have a, a compromise with your nutrition like a mix of both or are you just are you kind of following anything any principles at the moment or yeah i'm loose i guess i'm i'm loosely loosely primal with kind of what I could because I, I still have dairy I don't think I have it I have an issue with it but not a lot and like not not a huge amount not as much as I used to maybe and I, I feel like I feel better for it lots of fish and vegetables we don't really eat bread or cakes or things like that I mean it might pop up occasionally but it's not a it's not a big part of the of, of what we eat and I do you know Elizabeth's a very good cook but I do most of the cooking at the moment just because I'm uh, I'm at home more than she is and she's yeah. like busy with work so and then it's all like fresh meat fresh vegetables um sweet potatoes maybe a bit of rice um and lots of dark chocolate because i would never be able to get her to stop eating dark chocolate not that yeah. she should yeah. never, never even suggested it but that's, like, that's like a one a one thing so that's kind of that's kind of where where we end and, and it's sort of been and it's like actually very natural and we both eat um very similar way you know so that's that, that that's where it is but in terms of like all the other stuff like i'm really there's a really interesting book i'm reading at the moment um called the power of when and it's basically looking at different chronotypes of people's different circadian rhythms based on their it's based on genetics and this guy splits people into like four different types um and it's sort of supposedly based on some of the circadian rhythm genes that you have and the length of them and um and sort of we're obviously very different chronotypes but it's sort of it's interesting to look at it that way rather than saying well everybody should get nine hours of sleep and yeah. wake up at this time in the morning and go to bed at this time because you know not everybody is the same that way so definitely you know and you need to sort of figure out the best way sort of pattern when you function best what what you should do when who needs you know she needs a lot less sleep than i do um so it's just kind of like figuring out that stuff um is is probably well, it is much more important than whether you occasionally have some gluten, right? Yeah. I think we've that, that's kind of that, that you know, in terms, especially in terms of in the long term, and sort of I get up every morning and take Parker for a walk, um, and you know, make sure I get outside and 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 all that stuff, and I just think that's and I make sure I, you know, put on my blue blocking glasses and my computer turns orange if I'm doing work at night and all that kind of other stuff that makes sure I sort of you know looking after looking after the big picture. Mm. Um, so I, I think that that's where a lot of the wins come from, right? It's fixing the environment, not just worrying about exactly what what bits of food you eat. Um, do you know what? I'm 110 percent with you, mate. Like I keep saying this, like people focus too much on exercise and nutrition. Of course, yeah. I'm not implying they're not important because they are. But it's like you can't just focus on those two things and expect everything just to sort itself out. And I think we've kind of stuck to our guns with that message for for the last 
few years, haven't we? Even more so the last couple of years. And finally, like, you know, more kind of like, you know, more articles are coming out about it. It's getting more press coverage. And we're like, and then all of a sudden people start taking, the, uh, paying a bit more attention, don't they? Yeah, especially the the kind of less exercise is, is more effective because people have lost sight of the fact that, God, it's only since the 80s that we've seen this, I'd say like 90s really, this massive revolution of like gyms and yeah. kind of think, especially with social media, that you're supposed to be training every day, maybe even yeah. twice a day. And some, like one of our, I talk a lot about, I, I, if I train twice or three times a week, it's, it's that's, that's a good that's week. A good week. <laughs> but I walk <laughs> with the dog two hours a day, you know, and I love it. So That's exactly it, right? So it's, it's a, so the, the, the risk is that, you kind of, you hear what you want to hear, right? So somebody can yeah. hear, oh, it doesn't matter if you don't, if you're not super strict on your diet. And they're like, oh, well, then I don't need to be strict on my diet. I can eat wherever I want. Or they hear that, oh, you should exercise less. That doesn't mean you should move less. Yeah. It means yeah. just don't drag yourself to go into some artificially lit, environment, miserable yeah. box yeah. every day. Go out and walk the dog. Like So like habitual movement, just like patterns in terms of your eating and making sure that long term it's really good so then the occasional thing doesn't make any difference like that's it's all about setting that kind of setting those kind of patterns up um so so again it's super super important but worrying about the minutiae or then taking something that we say to like make yourself feel better about the fact you didn't go to the gym that's not really what we mean we just mean go out for a walk instead see see the sun or the clouds the thing is, a big the, the the main thing with that though is it's a mind shift, mindset shift, isn't it? It is for definitely like, for kind of our think, generation. Yeah, like now, I think it? you know, like you know, because and I'm sure you'll relate, Tommy. Like if if ever there something happened to where I couldn't go to the gym at one point, I would completely lose my shit. I'd oh yeah, like, and I would be a nightmare to be around yeah. because yeah. I was so obsessed about that one gym session. And whereas now I can, I mean, you know, I can happily miss the gym, can't I? And and say like, well, no worries today. You know, I've walked the dog a couple of times, or or whatever. I'm just like, it's cool. I'll just train tomorrow. And that for me yeah. is such a it's such a good place to be because there was once upon a time that would never have been the case, and I would have felt guilty. I would have felt angry. I would have felt frustrated. I would have felt that I was going to put on weight. I was going to lose my gains, and like you know i'd got it in my head that missing one gym session was enough to undo all the hard work i'd been doing at this point for years and and i think you know for us to kind of try and drum that into people a little bit is is probably where the job is at isn't it that's the hardest part of trying to convince people actually maybe you could do a training a little bit less you know maybe a little bit less intensely and not aiming for that kind of pb every single session um and focusing on like cooking more and sleeping more and the thing is, like, it's like we've always said, it doesn't sound very sexy. You know yeah. what I mean? People like to say, oh, I'm doing this plan. I'm doing that plan. I'm, you know, you know, I don't really mention any products. But, you know, like when people do these stupid bloody detoxes and all that kind of crap, it's like people like to be associated with a thing that people are talking about. And, and it's like, oh, God, like, you know, go on, crack on, like, yeah, get you lose your seven pounds in a week and then see where you're at in a month's time and... And, and all of that but I, I, again i do i do feel quite encouraged about the way it's going i think more and more people are coming round to the idea of that man you know i don't need to train every day to get results i don't have to you know live on vegetables to get results and it's kind of like i suppose eradicating those extremes and getting people to kind of open their minds to 
not the whole, not less is more, because I think that's a really kind of cheesy, like cliche thing to say, but I suppose it is true in a way, isn't it? It's just the bigger picture, isn't it? I think. I I know um, recently someone asked us in an interview, what, (laughs) sorry, Hamish is like (laughs) scrambling to get on the chair. I think he needs a poo. What is the skill, (laughs) what is the kind of, what do you think most people need uh, to kind of reach their health goals or, or the kind of priority? And I said, well, one of them that everyone's forgetting is to learn to love cooking again and enjoy it and feel confident doing it because mm. that's what lots of people don't do and that that kind of makes the whole process a lot easier doesn't it I, I think personally for me it was yeah. Yeah. oh good yeah I mean well to be fair I've always enjoyed cooking but <laughs> like when you making big stacks of bagels with various different toppings doesn't count as cooking that's what you did when we first met. The bagels are, bagels are gluten-free, right? So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All ten of them Low were. fat, iron fibre. Bosh. <laughs> the, more, the more the merrier. <laughs> and that was the case. I, I used to get the, you know, the uh, the New York Bagel Company. Yeah, I used to yeah. get the um, cinnamon and raisin bagels. Cinnamon and raisin, oh, yeah. But I would just eat the whole pack. With peanut butter, uh-huh. just just one after the other. Yeah, we're really good with peanut butter. My God, I mean, if I had, if I had the time to toast them, Jesus, I was in heaven. <laughs> I was just like this. I, I I will never get bored of this. <laughs> Do you have a day where you ever eat cinnamon and raisin bagels and peanut butter? A stack of? No, I'm actually having. I don't think I've eaten a bagel for real for as long as I can remember. Um, but you know. There are, de- there are definitely equivalent days where a whole pizza will disappear. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't happen often, but it has happened. I was going to say something about, now I can't remember what you were talking about, so. That's what we're talking about, in, in, indulging. Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, I suppose just to kind of like, we should probably wrap up soon, I guess. But I think for me, like, and again, like you said, you know, it's, 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 I think it's a massive journey. And I think people don't realise that, you know, obviously, you know, it's not a case of, oh, we've always been healthy. We've always been this way. And I know that my nutrition and my lifestyle now isn't probably as good as I would like it to be. But then saying that, I probably don't think it ever will be, if you like. Because I think as yeah. humans, we're programmed to never be completely happy. <laughs> or <laughs> completely it's, perfect. It's, there's always that yeah. 10% that we always think we could do better at. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think the key is to control it, you know. Like, for me, I know that if I was to say I can never have ice cream, <laughs> like, I, I, you know, it, that just won't work for me because I know that that's not true. Like, because I will have ice cream. But now yeah. the difference is, is I can quite happily enjoy a tub of ice cream, literally the whole tub, and not feel a single ounce of guilt or worry about it and fully enjoy it. Whereas yeah. once upon a time, that would eat me up for days. And, you know, I'd guilt trip myself, I'd feel like a failure. And, and I'm sure millions of people around the world can, can relate to that kind of feeling. And I think being in that position now... I'm not sure that's the health goal you should encourage, that they've got to be able to eat a tub of ice cream... <laughs> Eat a tub of ice cream without feeling guilty yeah. about it. Yeah. This is where we but, all need to be. But, hashtag gains. <laughs> I, do think, I do think that's really important, right? Because if you're gonna if you're gonna have something, right, decide to have it and then just enjoy, enjoy it. That's so, it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because right. that's the thing, most people don't. They're like, Oh, I'm gonna oh sorry, I'm gonna have a pizza. But then like guilt almost kicks in halfway through and it's a bit like they're already thinking about how they're going to burn it off or yeah. what they're going to do the next day. I'm going to get up early and go for a run in the morning. And But I suppose the difference is now is like, I suppose an example is I had a, I had a PT client on Saturday 
and he was really enthusiastic, as most people are on their first session. And he's like, I want to do this many sessions a week. I want to train for this long. I want to do that, and I want to do this. And I said, well, hold on a minute. On your consultation, you said how you have an hour and a half commute each way, Monday to Friday. You know, you're up at five every morning. You don't get home till eight o'clock. Now, all of a sudden, though, like I said, have you lost your job or something? Because like, now all of a sudden you've got all the time in the world to want to train like every single day. And he was like, well, no, 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 nothing's changed. I was like, well, when are you going to fit it in then? And he was like, yeah, but I don't know. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly. And I was like, well, yeah, but I don't just want you to do it properly for a week. I want you to do it properly for months and years and years. So let's be realistic. And we ended up spending a good chunk of the session talking about setting a realistic target that he could commit to. And then we eventually kind of like negotiated on the amount of sessions he would do and how long they would be. And it was almost like at first he was a bit frustrated at how little I was trying to get him to do. And and I was like, you need to get it out of your head that every session must be an hour. You need to get it out of your head that you must do a minimum of five times a week. Like you need to consider your lifestyle. It's all well and good if you live around the corner from the office. And it was like, I suppose managing his expectation but also managing what he thought was required to get the results in the first place if you know what I mean like and I think it's like when we get emails from people saying I want to lose x amount of weight but I don't want to deprive myself of alcohol and bread and I'm like and I always go back and say well who said you had to like like who said you had to never drink and never eat a slice of bread ever ever again and I think I'm in such a good place now because I can enjoy a pizza but I suppose the difference is now if I have a pizza, I genuinely want to have a better quality pizza. Like the thought of a stuffed crust deep pan pizza hut doesn't really appeal. Actually, maybe it does appeal to me. <laughs> maybe it does appeal to me a little bit. But I, I, I would still opt for a really good quality. Like there's a really lovely sourdough pizza place around the corner from here. And I'm not in the, the slightest trying to like, I don't try and convince myself, oh, it's sourdough. It's millions of times better for me. It's a pizza at the end of the day. And it's covered in cheese and whatever else. But I genuinely enjoy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm waffling. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, what I was going to say is I think what you said about this new client and getting to like think about what he can actually do and achieve is very similar to what Kara said about cooking, right? Is you actually have to... So when we talk about being mindful and mindfulness, it doesn't mean that you have to sit there and be mindful. You have to, you know, just, you know, in a, in a specified period of the day, you have to be mindful about all of this stuff, right? So just like when you are cooking and shopping, you're being mindful. Be like mindful and engaging in the process, yeah. right? Just like when you actually sit down and think about what you can realistically do for a long period of time and actually things that are sustainable and create like a sustainable plan and, you know, structure, right? That is being mindful, right? You're engaging yeah. in the process and it's the same with whatever it is, be it like what you're cooking or your training or whatever. And that's, that's a, a, such a crucial part to the process, right? If you, if you off load that to somebody else in terms of like the cooking and you know if you somehow offload that onto just like a personal trainer so they're there every every time and you just do what they say and whatever you like you never engage in quite the same way mm. yeah. right really so and that's just such a huge yeah. part of the part of it right is actually becoming mindful of all the things you want to do and actually realistically can do for a long period of time Actually, just from a last thing from a digestive point of view I've been trying to get Max you quite like a TV dinner just because it's kind of a work and he's like, let me just put the TV on and watch something mindless 
while I'm yeah, having yeah. dinner. And I've been trying to get you to sit at the table. <laughs> Sounds like he's like eight. And, sit and, at the table <laughs> and turn the telly off and like talk and and eat slowly and set the table and and I would say from a kind of bloating perspective because sometimes we'll work in the evening and you find yourself rushing dinner with the view that you've got to yeah. get back to work <laughs> and as personal trainers we picked up just that bad habit of eating no but really also quickly. as well when we sit at the table and talk we talk about work like we we, we <laughs> don't always. have nor- normal conversations but, like most people but I do find like one you enjoy the food you really look forward to dinner and I think you just I just feel better like digestively mm. it feel it makes a world of a difference and we've been trying to kind of encourage people to do it haven't we like set right. the table sit down talk use Best a, and digest use a knife that. and fork not just a fork shoveling your food in but you know it's not something yeah, that you're going to um, see I'm, I'm, I'm often I eat in a very similar way to how you describe Matt does but I do agree when you actually take the time to, to properly again engage in the eating yeah. process um, it's it is much absolutely much better. For I you. I actually find I I take longer to eat my dinner when I'm watching something because you kind of like you'll take a mouthful and then you kind of watch and get into it. Whereas <laughs> if I'm at the dinner table, it's like right, let's get this over and done with. You have to watch like Scandinavian <laughs> thrillers, so you've got to read. So you got to read the subtitles. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose um, I'm going to say the classic uh, the classic line of one one last thing. Um, I think as well, like uh, if if. I think people are very good at setting the bar high for themselves. You know, when enthusiasm's high, they're motivated. It's all well and good saying, I'm going to do this many gym sessions per week. I'm going to not eat all of these foods because they're going to make me fat. But then after like maybe a week or two, when life, you know, gets in the way and maybe they couldn't go to the gym as many times as they said they would, maybe uh, they ended up being called into this massive meeting at work that overran and it meant they weren't home until late. They couldn't eat the foods that they had planned. All of a sudden, rather than just going out, well, you know, that's life. It's, oh, I'm a failure. I couldn't stick to it. Oh, it's not working for me. I might as well not bother. And then they go to that opposite extreme again. You know what I mean? I think, as, and we do it all the time. Like we, we were saying, like, with our to-do lists, with work, and we write this to-do list. We're like, yeah, 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 I'm going to do this, 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 this. Then you get to the end of the day and you're like, okay, I've done a quarter of my to-do, to-do list. I must now stay up to the crack of dawn. To, to get that done, you know, and, and kind of like impact my sleep and get stressed and wound up. But then actually you're like, well, actually, I need to just be better at writing my to-do list. And what I've given myself to do in a day should really be my weekly to-do list. But you kind of, you, you naturally, you want to put this pressure on yourself. And as someone who owns their own business, I think you kind of, you almost feel an obligation to always be doing something rather than actually saying, do you know what, I'm going to have some time off. Because f- we feel guilty, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's the same thing. It's people. exactly the yeah. same thing. And we, that's what we and say, like, we can relate to people, yeah. But um, I've got some sweet potatoes in the oven that need checking. And he's got an open. They're going to burn. They'll be nice and crispy. That's just how I like them. Um, all right, then, Tommy, should we wrap it up there, buddy? That was a good old chinwag, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably... People probably had enough by now. <laughs> but I think, I, you know, I, I think it's really good because I think people, you know, have got an insight into, you know, not just you as Tommy Wood, but as a doctor and, you know, a kind of doctor's perspective and whatnot. And I think it's interesting to kind of see, you know, when you were studying to be a doctor and obviously yeah. very busy, lots going on and, and trying to fit like nutrition training in and whatnot. Um, but I think life goes in cycles. It's like when women have a baby. You know, it's like you're going to have sleepless nights, right? It's inevitable. But rather than kind of get wound up about it, at least it's for a purpose, yeah? 
Same yeah. with you as becoming a doctor is for a purpose. I jumped. I, I, I didn't go uni. Sod that. <laughs> <laughs> Far too distracting. Um, right, Tommy. Listen, mate. Thank you so much. Enjoy your yeah, day in you. Seattle. Thanks. And um, no doubt we'll have you on again soon. Yeah, yeah. It's been a pleasure as always. Awesome, mate. Well, yeah. What is it now? Like half ten? Half ten. Yeah. Got the day. Go and seize the day, buddy. Make the most of it. Yeah, life's short. Yeah, it all. <laughs> looks like it might be coming out. Jealous. All right, take it easy, Tommy. And guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you in episode 80. Hey. <laughs> Close to that 100. Have a good one, mate. See you guys. Bye.